Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Why don't you grab your Bibles? We're opening up to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, Benny says a huge hello. He loves you so much. Excited to be with you in just a few short weeks. Can't believe it's already 2020. I know. Uh, all of my men are at home holding down the fort. BJ is 19, uh, Benaya is 12, and then my daughter Bella is 15, and um, she's, she's somewhere probably helping something. I don't know. Helping run the church somewhere. <laughs> Uh, she's just an amazing uh, young woman. So we had a nice uh, time together being able to be with all of the ladies yesterday. And just what a treat it is. So good. Stephanie, great job. Wait. She's, oh, she's off organizing something else already. My God, she never gets a break. Oh, there you are. I see you. It was so good. Love you. Appreciate you. All right. Second Corinthians chapter three, beginning in verse 13. We are not like Moses, who used a veil to hide the glory, to keep the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away. This is 2 Corinthians 3, beginning at verse 13. I'm not sure if I said that. Um, their minds were closed and hardened, for even to this day, that same veil comes over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. The veil has not yet been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah, which is Jesus. So until now, whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. Now, the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever wherever he is, Lord, there is freedom. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. This is the glorious transfiguration that comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Can we say amen to God's word this morning? Amen. Uh, I love the holidays. Any other holiday lovers out there? Come on, Christmas. So fun, isn't it? New Year's. Uh, All the wonderful traditions that just come with the holidays, whether it's decorating. I'm always trying to look at whatever Rochelle's decorating with and just copy her. And, uh, you know, it's just so many fun traditions, whether it's the cooking or the family or getting together, whatever it might be, some parties. One of my favorite holiday traditions is every year seeing the Starbucks, the holiday Starbucks cups. Amen. It's always like the big week. The holiday cups are here. What will they be? So a few weeks ago, my daughter and I had an early morning appointment and we swung by Starbucks and we got a holiday drink and we're looking at the cute holiday cups and reading them and thinking how cute they are. And she said, oh, I noticed that they don't have the red one anymore. And I said, why don't they have the red one anymore? And she said, mom, you didn't hear it. It was like all over social media. Um, Christians were saying that the red one was demonic. I went from like zero to 60 on my annoyance level with Christians in like 0.037 seconds. I was like, oh, you know, like, it's just like, just, I'm like, I have a very long fuse. But once I get there, Jesus, watch out. Oh, my goodness, right? 
And so I am like driving in the car and I'm like, why are Christians so devil conscious? And I said, Bella, I'm going to preach a sermon. Stupid Christians. But then I prayed about it and God said no. So it's not good to preach mad. Doesn't usually like produce a lot of love, joy, and peace. So, um, so I'm not preaching the message stupid Christians this morning. Instead, my title is, Can You See Him? Can you see him? Uh, the Apostle Paul is addressing a very similar foundational issue. Obviously, we understand he is not actually addressing the Starbucks cup fiasco, right? But he is addressing and comparing and contrasting Old Testament, Old Covenant, ideologies, thoughts, and ideas invading a new covenant, grace-filled life of a believer. He's helping us begin to understand this is the way the old covenant was, but now as followers of Jesus, he has now ushered in the new covenant. So why are you then thinking in old covenant terms? Why is there mixture? He says in Galatians, hey church, who's messed with your mind? Who's gotten in there and tried to plant some things that you've been birthed or you've been saved by grace through faith, but now here you are trying to earn a gift that has been given to you. A gift is a gift because it's a gift. If you pay for the gift, it's not a gift anymore. By virtue of it being gift, the very definition of a gift is the fact that it's free, which always blesses me because every church you ever go to, no matter where you are in the world, we always say, come to the welcome lounge and get your free gift. No, by definition, a gift is a gift and it's free. Come to the guest lounge and get your paid for gift. You paid for it with your tithes. Anyway, I don't know. By very definition, it's a free gift. So why are we going backwards and trying to pay, work for, earn, or deserve something that we have been given as a gift? And we can't take for granted by any means. And sometimes it just, you know, deserves clarification uh, for all of us. What exactly we mean when we are talking about Old Covenant versus New Covenant, referencing Moses as opposed to Jesus, saying law versus grace. What exactly are we talking about? Moses was a Hebrew baby, and the Hebrews were enslaved in the land of Egypt. All of a sudden, the Pharaoh wakes up one day, realizes that these Israelites are having a lot of kids. And pretty soon, they're going to have more kids, more slaves than are Egyptians, and they'll be able to overpower and um, overpower the Egyptians. So he gives a decree to kill all the male children under two. So Moses' mom, being wise, uh, puts Moses in a basket, puts him down a river, and has his sister follow him. Maybe you've seen Prince of Egypt. Okay. So um, 
So the sister's following Moses. Moses actually goes down the river, gets picked up by a princess, and is then raised in the palace with the other Egyptian royalty. Well, he grows up, figures out who he is. He's out, and he sees an Egyptian uh, beating a Hebrew slave. So he kills the Egyptian, and then he has to flee for his life into the wilderness. When he's in the wilderness is when he has the burning bush experience. He sees a bush. It's on fire. It's not being consumed. And it talks to him. We love to use this joke in church and talk about this bush and that bush and talking and whatever. Right? You know, you get it. Sorry. Maybe not in Orange County, but in Vegas, it's a real issue. So they're like, I've seen a bush on fire. We're not talking about that bush. So, sorry, I'm from Vegas. I'm very irreverent. Anyway. Moses sees the bush. God talks to him, says, no, go back. You're going to help set the people free. That's where we get the 10 plagues. That's where the Israelites come out and Moses stretches out his staff. If you've seen, you know, the 10 commandments with Charlton Heston with the best weave you've ever seen, like seriously, amazing. And uh, stretching out his staff and they walk over to the other side. Well, they get to the other side and now God is going to usher in the old covenant. Moses goes to the mountaintop, is there, is there with God, takes the, gets the Ten Commandments from God, brings them back down. Moses has a very close relationship with God, being able to go up onto the mountain and talk with him. And one of the times that Moses is up there and he's talking to God, he asks, I would like to see you. God says, no one can see me and live. You, your body literally could not handle my glory. Moses says, no, please, I want to see you. And God says, well, listen, here's what I can do. I can put you into this cave, put my hand over the cave, walk by, and you could see my back. But that's the only part of the glory that you'll be able to withstand. So sure enough, that happens. Moses beholds, beholds God's back. When he comes down off the mountain, because of experiencing God's presence and his glory, the Bible said his face glowed. His face glowed. And it wasn't like, like, oh, girl, your highlighter's on point. That's not what we're talking about here, okay? It's not like, oh, you can beat a face. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. You know, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not just like, oh, cute, or oh, nice, or good hair, or nice out. Like, that's not what we're talking. We're talking about an arresting. The people were so distracted. No one could do work because Moses would walk by and they could just stop and they couldn't take their eyes from the glory that was resting on Moses because it was so attractive. People just couldn't take their eyes. They just wanted to follow him and just watch him. They just wanted to watch the glory of God. So obviously this is an issue. Like we got chores to do. We got things to get done. And so they put a veil over Moses' face so that people would get back to work. So then you fast forward a few hundred years and, and uh, the law becomes more institutionalized. Now we have a temple, but the veil resurfaces again. Now we see the veil in the temple and the veil is what's separating everyone else from the Holy of Holies or where the glory of God resides in the temple. And only one person could go in there and only one time a year and they have to go through a bunch of ceremonial cleansings and what have you to be able to go in there. And then even if they got to go in there, they would have to have a rope around their ankle because in case they had sin, sit in hin. <laughs> hidden sin or the other, I suppose. But if they had any of those things right, they would go into the Holy and they would die. That's pretty much surmises the law. 
Um, if you kill somebody, then you die. If you cook the wrong food, then you die. If you cook the wrong two foods together, then you die. If you look at someone wrong, then you die. If you, like, pretty much you just die. You just die for everything with the law. Like, you're just dead, okay? Jesus enters the scene. Jesus, just so we understand, Jesus fulfills the law. With the law, you needed an animal sacrifice to take care of your sin. I'm so glad that's gone because I love my little Maxie Poo, my little French bulldog. He's so cute. I don't want to sacrifice him. So thank God Jesus came. He fulfilled the law. At the moment as he was upon that cross and he said these words, it is finished. In the temple, that veil was ripped from the top of the veil to the bottom of the veil. The top down signifying that it's always God that is the initiator in our life, not us being the initiator to him. The veil was now ripped, and now you and I, the Bible says, that we get to go boldly into the throne room of grace, and we have favor in Jesus' name. So this is just an explanation to help us understand when we say old covenant, when we say law, law of Moses, when we're talking about that, we're talking about all of the things that it was all about me being perfect. Now, when we talk about new covenant, it's not about me being perfect. It's about me receiving the righteousness that has already been made available to me through Jesus. The old covenant was sin conscious. The new covenant is Jesus conscious, right? The old covenant, the old way of doing things was just do more, be better. The new covenant is receiving, is believing, and is then walking it out. Amen. So that's just help us give us a little bit of an understanding. So you can imagine what a privilege it uh, is for both you and I to be born into the time of the new covenant. No longer do we have to worry about mixing the wrong foods. Amen. Amen. Unless you're gluten intolerant like myself. Please don't put gluten in my food. But we don't have to worry about the animal sacrifices. We don't have to worry about dying for everything because Jesus has already died for everything. So why then, if we have received this amazing free gift, would we ever put on an old way of thinking? But yet, by and large, if you look at our culture today and you see the reputation of Christians in our culture today, it's not one of the happiest, most magnetic, most open, most loving. In fact, overwhelmingly, our reputation seems to be one of condemnation self-righteousness, looking down at other people. Maybe you've heard this said, wow, oh, no, I love Jesus. Me and Jesus, we're good. I just don't like the church. Christianity would be so great if it wasn't for the Christians. (laughs) Right? We hear these things said, how did we come from the ultimate gift of good news, that it does not rest on your shoulders, on my shoulders, that it is not about my performance, but just being able to receive what Jesus has done to me. How did we get from there 
to being associated with condemnation, guilt, and self-righteousness. The Bible says in verse 13 that we're not like Moses anymore where we have to have a veil over our face. We're going to land right at verse 18 because it says, we can all now draw close to him. We're talking about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of our Lord Jesus. It's often been said of the law, one of the uh, metaphors used to explain what the law is and its purpose is a mirror. It's often described as a mirror. Because what does a mirror do? A mirror simply reflects what you put in it. So that's the unfortunate part of waking up too early and looking in the mirror with no makeup on. No matter what I do, right? It's not going to be those filters on my phone, right? You know, the ones that make you look all beautiful and perfect. Yeah. Okay. And it doesn't matter what mirror mirror I buy. There's no such thing as a magic mirror. I've tried, but it's impossible. That's a Disney movie, mirror, mirror on the wall. There's nothing I can do. All this mirror can do is reflect, it's time for some Botox again. I'm in Orange County. Don't pretend you don't get it. Oh, my gosh. Come on, everybody. All the mirror can do is, oh, I need a little under eye concealer. Looking a little tired there. All the mirror can do is, girl, you better brush your hair. Look at that. It doesn't matter if I take that mirror, it doesn't matter where I bought the mirror, how strong magnification the mirror has, whether it has a light or no light, whether it's rose gold or silver, I don't, it doesn't matter. No matter what I do, if I take that mirror, it's not going to fix what is reflecting. Its job is just to show me the inadequacies of what it's looking at. That's what the law does. The law has no ability to save us. The law has no ability to make us righteous. The law has no ability to change what needs to be changed. It's simply a mirror to let us see. Let me say it to you this way. The law was like the longest illustrated sermon of all time. To remind us, we need a savior. Come on. And then when Jesus came... Jesus came and he leveled the playing field. And he said, listen, there's no degree of good and there's no degree of bad. There's just dead in trespasses and sins. And now there is alive in Jesus. So now Paul introduces this second mirror. The first mirror is the law. The first mirror, come on, tells us what's wrong. The first mirror is condemnation. The first mirror, the mirror brings death. But now the second mirror has come. I find this absolutely incredible. This blew my mind. If you would ask me just a few weeks ago before studying this particular passage, hey, Wendy, what's the second mirror? I'd have said, oh, I think the second mirror is Jesus. I think the second mirror is the word of God. I don't know, I would have made up some really fancy Christian answer for it, I'm sure. And, uh, but I realized that, no, in fact, it's not Jesus and it's not the word of God, but the second mirror is actually you and me. We are the second mirror that is showing the world one mirror, death, another mirror, new life. 
one mere condemnation. Second mere, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. First mere, pointing out every single thing that is wrong. Second mere held up. Neither, in the words of Jesus, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Two mirrors. And we are the mirror. So what do we reflect? Because we have a really good habit in church and saying really fancy Christian things and walking out and having no idea what we actually mean practically. I'm the mirror. What does that mean? No idea. Shining a light into the darkness. I don't know. That's a song. This is what we are meant to reflect. I love the writer of this passage, this particular iteration of the Bible because of the word that it uses. It says we... This is what we're meant to reflect. This is the glory that we're supposed to reflect. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. That word transfigured is so poignant, so important. Other translations say we are being transformed. The definition of a transformation is from one thing to another. Not necessarily better, not necessarily worse, just from one state to another state. But this word, being transfigured, goes a little step further. Because when I am transfigured, I'm not just taken from one form to another, but I'm actually transformed into a more, uh, this is this is not my words, a more attractive <laughs> and beautiful person. Listen to that. I'm not talking about beauty. I'm not talking about a facelift. I'm not, okay, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about style of clothes or style of hair. I'm not talking about any of these things. I'm talking about that there is something attractive and beautiful from the inside out. What we are meant to reflect is a transfigured life in Jesus. Last week, I was um, doing something that white people do to look like all the beautiful rest of you that um, my husband is Hispanic and I'm very white. My, he likes to call me nightlight white. <sighs> so I have to go get chemicals sprayed on me to like look a little more orange, you know. And, uh, and so I was going to get a spray tan and uh, the lady that does make spray tan, her name is Tina and she's fabulous. The name of her salon is A Spray of Sunshine. And I would say Tina is kind of like a spray of sunshine. She is just the happiest, the sweetest, the most bubbly, just encouraging and loving and remembers details and asks me about them and asks about the kids. I mean, she's just so much fun, so much fun to be around. I can't wait to go in and just talk with her. I brought Benny this time. I just wanted him to meet her because she's just like the sweetest person. So we're leaving. Uh, Benny didn't get spray tan, by the way. Did I mention that? He's always really wants everyone to know that. It's all natural. Anyway. So we're leaving the spray tan place, and I look at Benny, and I say, wow, don't you just love being around her? He goes, yeah, wow, she is, she is great. And I said, you know, I wonder, I wonder if people feel that way after being with me. Then a few seconds later, I said, man, Benny, I really hope people feel that way when they leave our church. And I just thought about that just for a minute. Transfigured, attractive, 
beautiful, welcoming, open, good news, free gift. I find it really interesting, you know, to get a full, complete picture, really, of who Jesus is. It's so beautiful to watch his interactions with people. It really helps us understand his tone when we take his actions or the context away from some of his words. Some of his words can be misconstrued. And you know, I never see, when I use the word sinner, you understand that I, all of us are sinners, but that was just the term that the Bible used. So just, just to help us understand context this morning, not meaning to offend anyone. But when you see Jesus interacting with sinners, you never see that person apologizing for their sin. In fact, they felt no condemnation. In fact, because they were in the presence of Jesus, they were so Jesus conscious that their sin didn't even need mentioning. And the only people that were ever bothered by whatever particular sin was happening in their life was self-righteous people. I find it so interesting. I'll go to get, you know, my haircut and the lady will be cutting my hair and the next person is coming in for their haircut and she'll be like, oh, I'm so sorry. This lady's coming. She's got a really bad mouth. I always think that's like, oh my gosh, I've never heard it. My virgin ears. Or you go to a particular dinner party and someone's like, oh, well, this couple is coming. You know, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, their lifestyle. You know, their choices. You know what they do. You know, their business. Oh. And they feel the need to apologize for a sinner who sins. I'm not offended by sinners who sin. I'm offended by Christians who pretend they don't. a development of the culture of Christianity that is just honestly disturbing for me. Being offended at sinners who sin is like being a doctor and being offended because someone's sick. We are sent on this earth to begin to invade their life and take them from death into life, to take them from sick to alive and well, to take them from depressed to filled with joy, a transfigured life in Jesus. A transfigured life is not a perfect life. A perfect life doesn't help anyone. The church has been trying to sell the idea that you come to Jesus and then you're perfect. The problem is no one's buying it. Because I can't relate to that. I don't understand that. But what I do understand is an authentic life that is honest about their past, where they came from, their struggles, their issues, and then ends the story with but Jesus. I think we forget. I think we forget our life before Jesus. I think we forget how sick we were. I think we forget that we had some of the same illnesses and sicknesses and oppressions on our life as the people that are around us. Are we so far removed from our past that we can't remember what that felt like? To be lost. To be bereft. To be separated. To feel lonely. To be without. Jesus. 
transfigured life is an authentic life as someone comes back to the keyboards and says, look what Jesus has done in my life. So my question for all of us here this morning, can you see him in me? No, I'm not talking about Sunday morning, Wendy. She's the holiest of all the Wendy's. Cute outfit, cute hair, makeup done. No, I'm talking about Monday morning, Wendy. Talking about Wendy at the restaurant when the order doesn't come back, right? Wendy. Can you see him then? Can you see him in my Yelp reviews? Can you see him in my social media rants? Can you see him in my Facebook posts? We get so bogged down in these circumstances. That barista, it's a $6 drink. Who cares? Is the barista going to heaven or hell? That's what we're here for. That's why we're here. Can you see him? In my compassion, can you see him? In my empathy, can you see him? In my love, can you see him? In my conversations, can you see him? And by no means presenting this message to you to bring you under any condemnation. In fact, if you feel any condemnation today, that's not from God. It's the enemy trying to distract you so that you get away from the heart of the message, which is Jesus. But I'm here to remind you who you are. Yeah. I'm here to remind you why you're here. Oh, man. Headed into the holidays. We've got some family members coming over. They push your buttons like nobody else. You think you could avoid the reaction so that they could see Jesus in you? When the Amazon order gets delayed and doesn't get here by Christmas, maybe you could remember the person you're talking to on the phone is a child of God. They might not know it yet, but. Why are we here? It's for people. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.